A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. In February 2023, a man was convicted of sexually abusing a child during the 1980s. Aside from the harrowing details presented to the jury at Nottingham Crown Court, some information was kept from them. Jurors were unaware the defendant was already serving a life sentence or that he was suspected of being one of the worst serial killers in British history. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 43 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is part one of a two-part case. The second instalment will be available next week. On December 31, 1993, a horse rider travelling along a quiet lane in Swinford, Leicestershire, noticed something by the roadside. As she approached an eight-foot ditch in the hedgerow, the rider realised she was looking at a dead body. Startled, she raced to alert the police. The area around the body was cordoned off along the rural lane, just two miles from the junction of the M6 and M1 motorways. Scenes of crime officers then began to analyse and photograph the evidence. Laying face down in the watery ditch, they found the body of a partially naked woman. The weather had preserved the remains to some extent, but it was apparent the victim had been lying there for some time. She was only wearing a black slip, and there were no items found with the body that provided any clues as to her identity. After the remains were taken to the mortuary for a post-mortem, the pathologist determined that strangulation was likely the cause of death. There were no visible external injuries, but the young woman did have internal bruising on her neck. In an attempt to identify the victim, the investigators checked her fingerprints against those people in the national database. They discovered that she was 20-year-old Samo Paul, a mother of one. She was 45 miles from home and had been reported missing almost four weeks earlier. Samo shared a flat in Rowley Regis, West Bromwich, with her boyfriend and one-year-old daughter. 
On the night of Friday, December 3rd, 1993, Samo had done what she did most weekends. She got a taxi to Borsal Heath in Birmingham, where she made extra money as a sex worker. At the time, it was a well-known area for obtaining sex in exchange for money. As the taxi pulled up, the street had a warm glow emanating from the dim red light shining out from the sex workers' windows. Samo had been in this line of work for around a year. She stood out with her short, slim build and thick, dark hair. She usually operated on Hallam Street and had sex with clients in their cars in exchange for £25. She kept the notes stashed in a small purse. And Samo did not return home the following morning. Her boyfriend was worried enough to contact the police. Officers spoke with the taxi driver who had dropped her off the night before, but he was quickly ruled out as a suspect because his driving log showed he had collected other passengers after collecting Samo. Relationships between sex workers and the West Midlands police were especially strained at the time. On the night Samo Paul vanished, the vice squad had conducted an undercover operation in the area to dissuade would-be customers by having female police officers pose as though they were in the business of selling sex. Detective Superintendent Dave Unwin led the investigation and recalled the difficulties in trying to speak with sex workers. He told the people, These girls do not lead structured lives. It was very hard getting them to remember the night she vanished. One prostitute thought she had seen Samo walking towards her pitch, but we couldn't be 100% sure the girl had remembered the correct night. Samo's family members were questioned too. Detective Superintendent Unwin told reporters, I've always thought that Samo knew her killer. Prostitutes sense danger. If she had thought anything threatening was about to happen, she would have fought. The lack of any defence marks tells me she may not, after all, have been killed in the back of a car. Samo was naive, but she was wary. It had to be more than a one-off in the back of the car. Why was her underwear removed? The red light area that Friday night was busy. There are lots of Indian restaurants. People were coming out of pubs at closing time. You'd expect her to have been seen. As a woman of Indian descent, the police speculated that a family member disapproved of Samo's lifestyle so much so that they killed her, but it quickly became clear that they had no involvement whatsoever. When Samo's body was eventually discovered weeks later, the investigators returned to the area to speak with any potential witnesses. Still, no one could remember seeing Samo that night. The time that had passed between her death and the discovery of her body meant that vital DNA evidence had been destroyed, and there were no forensic clues that would point to her killer. The West Midlands Constabulary took over the murder inquiry as it was believed that Samo had been killed in the area before her body was dumped some distance away. Detective Superintendent Unwin said, I think she was put in the ditch soon after the murder. The immediate assumption is that she was killed in the car and driven to Swinford. This suggests the killer knew the area because this was the first really rural turn-off on the M6. All we can do is speculate. We have so little evidence to go on. No car, no forensic, no description. A murder inquiry is a matter of tedious process and hard work, and hopefully clicking into a bit of luck. 
With no solid leads and very little luck, Samo's killer remained at large, prompting locals to take it upon themselves to protect the sex workers in Borsal Heath. They felt as though the police did not seem to care. Three months later, on March 3rd, 1994, another woman's body was discovered less than 10 miles from where Samo Paul had been found murdered. A motorist had noticed the naked body of a blonde woman lying on her back on the grassy verge of Woodby Lane in Bitterswell, Leicestershire. Unlike Samo Paul, the victim's remains had not been concealed at all leading investigators to believe that she had been pushed out of a vehicle in haste. There were clear signs that she had struggled with her killer, as imprints of a knee were visible on her back. There were also scratches on her face, as though she had tried to pry someone's hands away. It was determined during the post-mortem that she had been strangled from behind, possibly with a thin ligature. She was also sexually assaulted, and DNA was found during a forensic examination. Tire marks were seen on the grassy verge where the body was discovered, and impressions were taken to conclude which vehicle they had come from. It took almost two weeks before she was identified as 30-year-old Tracy Turner. The police had passed an artist's impression of the victim to the media, and Tracy's landlord reached out to say he recognised her as a previous tenant. A neighbour spoke to the Leicester Mercury newspaper about Tracy, and said, As soon as we saw the picture, we felt sure it was her. We hadn't seen Tracy for a few weeks, so we made the connection. She was a strange character who used to rummage around bins collecting rubbish. She once even set one of our bins on fire. Tracy's remains were formally identified by her father, while the police tried to trace her mother, who was believed to have been in India. Detective Superintendent Ian Strip told the people, It seems incredible that in this day and age, somebody can go missing for 13 days and not be reported. But when we discovered more about Tracy, we understood why. She was an introvert, mainly because she was virtually deaf and perhaps also because of her large size. She had problems making friends. A few we did find hadn't seen her for some time. We found it difficult to find anyone close to her. There were big gaps in her life. Tracy Turner was profoundly deaf in both ears and wore a hearing aid, which, along with her clothes and rucksack, was also missing when her body was found. Furthermore, investigators believe that it could have been the cable from her hearing aid that was used as a ligature to strangle her. Tracy had led a solitary life and moved around frequently. She left home at the age of 15 and began using sex work to support herself. It was suggested that for Tracy, sex became a form of currency as she travelled around the country. Detective Sergeant Dave Marshall stated, Her life was not just about prostitution, It was about tripping around in lorries. She travelled around the country as a hobby, almost as a way of life. Tracy liked to go with lorry drivers because she felt safer with them, but she would take other lifts. We know she travelled all over Britain and she may have travelled to Ireland and the continent, but we never found a driver who admitted giving her a lift. It is often against freight company rules to give lifts. If anyone does come forward, we will deal with their information in total confidence. We really do need every bit of help we can get. 
in the months before her murder. Tracy had met clients at the Hilton Park service station on the M6, and on the night before her body was found. She had been seen there between 10.40pm and 12.40am. She was spotted wearing a dark green anorak and dark coloured leggings. She also had a holdall with her that she always kept on hand, containing clothes, a toothbrush and toothpaste. Referring to Tracy as a very noticeable girl, Detective Sergeant Marshall said, A mass of light blonde hair and her size made her look a very big, powerful girl. Even though it was pitch black, you could not have failed to notice her and perhaps, as one couple did, think she was asking for trouble. We believe that by 1pm she had gone. Around seven hours later, Tracy Turner's body was found in a rural laneway 40 miles from the service station, and a murder inquiry was opened by the Leicestershire Police. Investigators believe Tracy had been killed in a vehicle before her body was left on Woodby Lane. Detective Marshall said, Tracy was too heavy to be carried easily so someone would have had to stop in their vehicle and dump her. We don't know how long she was there. There were vehicles going to the bungalow and farm buildings at the end of the lane that morning, but it was very overcast. If drivers were concentrating on the road, they might have missed her. Even though she was naked, we expected to find some pieces of her clothing near the scene, but we found none nor the hearing aid she wore. The murderer could have kept them as a trophy, or he could have known they were incriminating and took them away to destroy them. Detective Superintendent Strip appealed to the public, asking if they knew anything about Tracy to speak up, even if they felt what they knew was insignificant. He stated, Some people are not coming forward because they think we already have the information. But we may not have. I have no doubt the murderer will be caught eventually. I also believe that somebody out there knows something that they are not telling us. Maybe out of fear. Maybe out of loyalty. We appeal for that person to come forward. Tracy was a sad, lonely girl. It doesn't matter what she did. She didn't deserve to die like that. Imagine her fear at the moment of her death, alone in the dark in the middle of nowhere with an evil person. I want to find who that person was, not only for Tracy, but also for her mum and dad. Despite the similarities and proximity of the areas where Tracy Turner and Samo Paul's bodies were found, investigators were unsure whether the murders were linked. Detective Superintendent Unwin said, There were signs of a ligature around Tracy's neck and she was naked. There is nothing to say she was not killed by the same person, but nothing to say she was. I believe it was just one hell of a coincidence. The files are still open. Every time there is an attack on a prostitute, we check for similarities. Investigators appealed for information from anyone in the Woodby Lane area the night before Tracy's body was found. The remote rural road was known to be a lover's lane of sorts and courting couples were asked to come forward. Detectives voiced their desire to speak with the occupants of a silver Peugeot that was seen parked in the area for several hours. On March 23, 1994, hundreds of motorists using the M6 service station were stopped and handed questionnaires in an attempt to get more information. Drivers were asked if they recognised the description of Tracy Turner and if they had seen her on the day she was last seen alive, March 2nd. 
Detective Inspector Adrian Hogg, working with the Leicestershire Police on the murder inquiry, told the Mercury. We stopped hundreds of drivers from 6pm until the early hours of this morning. Now we will have to evaluate if anyone has information which will help the investigation. Later today we should know whether any of the information supplied to us has been of use. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at centair.com. Consultant psychologist Paul Britton was asked to assist in the inquiry and develop a psychological profile for both Tracy Turner and her killer. Britton had developed profiles for the killers of James Bulger and assisted with the investigation into Michael Sams. He had also just finished consulting with detectives investigating the discovery of bodies at the home of Fred and Rose West on Cromwell Street. A meeting was arranged between the renowned expert and Detective Superintendent Dave Cox and other senior officers in the investigation. Paul Britton had expressed his opinion that the cases of Samo Paul and Tracy Turner were linked. He also suggested other murders could have been committed by the same offender. Britton believed the person responsible would be in his mid-twenties to mid-thirties. Quote, He is not going to have a stable career and will have worked at a fair few manual jobs. He is a traveller. It's his job. 
Look at where he left the body. Bitterswell and Woodby Lane are hard to find even when you are looking. For this reason, I think he has some knowledge of the immediate area. This man knows the Midlands, not just the macro geography, but the micro geography as well. He knows it has a driver, someone who has driven or drives for a living. Also someone who uses common street prostitutes for a particular reason. A psychologist said there were two main factors behind the murder, anger and expediency. He believed that the murder was not planned or acted out as a sexual fantasy, but instead the killer had chosen a random victim and dumped her body without any dramatic statement attached. Britton said, It's a farmyard murder. Brutal, brief, one animal goring what it sees as another. Just because it's expedient. There's no real reflection, no particular pleasure. He's not really a planner. He reacts. That's why he left behind his DNA. Britton told the investigators that the suspect was arrogant and felt the need to be in command of situations with women. He said that if the killer got anxious about his sexual performance, his anger would boil over and he would kill. Britton believed the man was a rape risk, and if he could not afford a sex worker, he would find someone else to take his anger out on. A psychologist concluded that the suspect lived an unstable life, and would have had a poor relationship history. No woman would stay with him for very long. Britton told the investigators, he is physically confident and will try to face people down, but he's also the sort who likes to impress the lads, either by boasting or teasing. He tells lies, and depending on what he thinks will impress people the most, he'll make all sorts of claims about his achievements. This could be his undoing. His social skills and personal presentation are good enough not to frighten off a working girl. Mind you, they do accept some rough trade. He'll be a regular user of prostitutes, but not well-liked by them. They'll have different girls in different places, and they'll be important to him as a group, a sexual facility, rather than individuals. They fascinate him, and he won't be able to stay away from them. That's why he'll turn up again. Britton said that he could see the similarities between the murders of Samo Paul and Tracy Turner, as both were left in remote roadside areas having been strangled. There is a connection between the motorways and truck roads, Britton said. He picked up both women in the West Midlands and transported them 40 to 45 miles. He knows this area well. He's a driver, and these aren't his first outings. He may be farmyard in style, but he is also practised, slick and comfortable. He's locked into prostitutes, and he will attack again. Britain also mentioned similarities in other cases. One was the murder of 22-year-old Janine Downs in February 1991. Like Samo and Tracy, mother of three Janine was a sex worker at the time of her death. She had been strangled and sexually assaulted before her body was dumped in a lay-by on the A464 near Hatton in Shropshire. Fears swirled that a killer was targeting sex workers and lone women in the Midlands. More victims were being found as the investigations into Samo Paul and Tracy Turner's murders were slowed down. In May 1994, 18-year-old Emma Merry was found naked and strangled in an industrial estate in Staffordshire. That same month, the body of 19-year-old Dawn Shields was found in the Peak District. She had also been strangled and stripped naked, and like the other victims, 
she too supported herself as a sex worker. Detective Chief Inspector Kelvin Ashby told The Mercury, We hope the offender profile will open up new lines of inquiry in the investigation. Nothing so far has led us to the man we are looking for, but the profile could give the inquiry a boost. Fellow Officer Detective Superintendent David Cox spoke about the alarming frequency at which sex workers were being killed in the area. He said, There seems to be a number of salient points which are similar to those uncovered during our investigations. More worrying than the cause of death is the way in which the bodies are disposed of and the missing items of clothing common to each case. It's far too early to start talking about a Midlands Ripper, but we have to acknowledge the possibility that one person could be responsible for all these murders. At the moment, the inquiries are being conducted at one level down from a formerly linked investigation. Detective Superintendent Cox described how there were disturbing similarities between the killings. He told reporters... I am anxious to avoid the suggestion we may have a New Yorkshire ripper on the loose. As Paul Britton said in his book Picking Up the Pieces, the moment you have two or more prostitutes killed close together in time or geographical space, the idea that there is another ripper out there takes on a very strong energy. The victims are no longer the story. It is the monster who is killing them. The prostitutes are just straw women, or grist to the mill. In June 1994, Crime Watch featured Tracy Turner's case. During the appeal, Detective Superintendent David Cox revealed further forensic evidence had been recovered. Plecks of yellow paint were found in Tracy's hair, indicating a specific type of vehicle was close to the murder scene. The paint had a high lead content and was thought to have been used to respray agricultural vehicles. After the appeal was broadcast, a spokesperson for the Leicestershire Police said, There has been an excellent response through Crime Watch. As soon as the telephone number went up on the screen, the phone started ringing like crazy in the incident room. However, by the middle of June 1994, the murder squad investigating Tracy Turner's death was halved from a team of 40 to 20. 11,000 vehicles had been stopped and checked, and over 40 lines of inquiry were followed up. Speaking to the Mercury on June 16th, DCI Ashby from the Leicestershire Constabulary said, Although the number of officers who will be involved in the inquiry is being reduced, our investigations are continuing. We will pursue every line possible to catch the person responsible for Miss Turner's murder. One avenue of the inquiry investigated the possibility that Tracy had a boyfriend who drove a meat truck. Police believed his name was either Gary or Gavin and that he was from Glasgow. When they eventually tracked this trucker down, it was determined that he had nothing to do with the murder. Investigators had developed a database containing 3,000 lines of inquiry, 400 statements, and 2,000 names. Still, despite media appeals by Tracy's mother and reconstructions, no promising leads were identified. In August 1994, a meeting between senior detectives across the Midlands was held to discuss the possibility of a serial killer targeting sex workers. They decided that no formal link would be made between the murders of Sam O'Paul, Tracy Turner, Dawn Shields and Julie Clayton. 
Julie's naked body had been found in a ditch at Colby near Lincoln at the start of the previous month. According to Lincolnshire Police, she had left a friend's home in London before her body was discovered wrapped in a duvet she had been carrying in her backpack. Chief Constable Keith Povey from Leicestershire Police said, Officers discussed their individual murder inquiries and shared information. We concluded that it would not be productive to link the inquiries, but we will continue to closely liaise with one another. That said, Detective Superintendent David Cox from the same constabulary voiced his belief that they should not entirely discount the possibility the murders were connected. Speaking about the cooperation between local police forces, he said, We are talking to each other all the time. In a way, I don't know which is worse. One person doing four murders or four people doing one each. Whoever is responsible, I am determined that the murder of these vulnerable women should not be swept under the carpet. By October 1994, the team investigating Tracy Turner's murder was scaled down to five detectives. Speaking just before the first anniversary of her daughter's death, Tracy's mother Mary said, Some days, I cry a lot and get upset. If they could find someone and I could see them, I think it would help. If anyone knows anything who hasn't yet come forward, I hope they will now. The police seemed unconvinced there was any link between the killings. By December, a spokesperson for the West Mercia Constabulary said, It is too early to talk about a Midland Ripper. With very little progress on the unsolved murders, by 1996, police forces from across the nation met for a three-day conference at the West Mercia Police Headquarters to discuss the cases in the hopes of identifying common traits along with producing new policing guidelines to be utilised in future investigations. Before the summit meeting began in May, a senior officer in London told the Sunday Mirror, We have always believed there are a handful of people out there, perhaps drivers, salesmen or rootless labourers, who may have killed several times. They could be three or four who have killed twenty or thirty, or nine or ten who have killed four or five. The meeting was coordinated by the National Crime Faculty, and investigators collected and compared details of over 200 unsolved murders of women, many of whom were sex workers dating back to 1986. The multiple forces consulted with FBI and Canadian Mounted Police experts, utilising physical profiling techniques to determine if there were any links between the cases. They also collated detailed records of the locations, elements and distinguishing features of the crimes to make it easier for investigators to find similar murders. The team working as part of the operation did not undertake new murder investigations, but aimed to support ongoing and older inquiries. Chief Constable David Phillips, who chaired the Association of Chief Police Officers Crime Committee, said that a group referred to as the Enigma Team would forward their reports to the relevant police forces who investigated each crime and leave it to them to reinvestigate the cases. Media reports covered the potential scenario that a serial killer was operating undetected in the UK, as a number of women had been murdered under similar circumstances in recent years. The multiple force inquiry was led by Assistant Chief Constable of Essex James Dickinson, who told The Independent, Operation Enigma will collate and analyse relevant information regarding the victim, the crime, 
and any suspects from a limited number of detected and undetected murders where the victim is female. The research will determine whether and how the service provided to officers investigating such crimes can be improved. For some years, there have been arrangements to assist senior investigating officers in conducting comparative case analysis of major crimes. Work is currently being undertaken with a view to enhancing existing arrangements. This will take account of experiences within the UK and advances in other countries. A lengthy operation concluded that 135 of the murders were random killings, but 72 unsolved cases warranted further analysis and could be contained within 21 clusters of potentially connected crimes. At least nine victims were found in cases bearing disturbing similarities. In each case... The victim had been strangled and dumped in a remote location without the killer attempting to conceal their bodies. It was believed the person responsible had taken their clothes as trophies. In May 1997, Chief Constable James Dickinson said, There is no difficulty in saying there is a possibility that some of these cases may be linked is about taking it that much further. Members of Operation Enigma included officers from the National Crime Faculty, the Forensic Science Service, the Home Office Police Research Group, and the National Criminal Intelligence Service. They spent almost two years examining thousands of witness statements, reviewing hundreds of post-mortem reports, analysing victim profiles and compiling evidence from each crime, including DNA samples, fingerprint evidence, clothing, and crime scene photographs. Their work would be submitted into a new nationwide database accessible to all police forces in an attempt to establish patterns and prevent and solve further crimes. The Serious Crime Bureau was established in 1997 with a team of 26 investigators who would examine unsolved murders and search for links between sexual offences, murders, rapes and abduction cases. The Bureau would use the findings of Operation Enigma and establish a database that would potentially allow them to identify serial offenders at an early stage and liaise with local forces. Head of the Serious Crime Bureau Detective Chief Superintendent Doug Smith explained which cases they would be assessing. We will be looking at all sexually orientated murders, including children, stranger rapes, offences of abduction where there is a sexual involvement, and unsolved murders of gay men. We will eventually look at all murders. After failures were highlighted in the Yorkshire Ripper investigation, the authorities were under pressure to improve their methods and identify serial killers. It emerged that Peter Sutcliffe had been interviewed nine times without being identified as the prime suspect for the at least 13 murders he was convicted of committing. Many people felt as though the police were not investigating the murders of sex workers as thoroughly as they should have been. Police crackdowns in areas where sex workers were known to operate tended to drive vulnerable women away from the safety of other women in the same position, working on the streets in busy areas in order to make money. According to Sex Work Mobility and Health by Sophie Day and Helen Ward, At least 73 sex workers were murdered between January 1990 and December 2002. In response to Operation Enigma, many suggested using a computer indexing system, similar to the VICAP database, that maintains a repository of major violent crime cases in the United States. 
the Serious Crime Analysis Section, or SCAS, was set up to allow communication and information sharing between police forces. Crimes meeting the specific criteria of those analysed by the SCAS are coded into the Violent Crime Linkage Analysis System, or VICLAS, a database within the Serious Crime Analysis section. Cases can then be compared on the system to highlight any potential serial offending. Once those cases are identified, the SCAS can use different methods such as behavioural analysis, forensic techniques and crime mapping to narrow the search for the offender. A reinvestigation into the murders of Tracy Turner and Samo Paul began in 1997, spearheaded by Detective Superintendent Mick Creedon from the Leicestershire Police. Detective Superintendent Creedon reviewed the evidence and case files from the original investigation. It turned out that Samo Paul's body had in fact been thrown into the ditch with minimal effort made to conceal it. It was due to the location and weather in the area her body was not discovered sooner. It had been determined that Samo was not held captive and was likely killed within hours of going out on the night she was last seen. There were no restraint marks found on her body and her stomach contents were consistent with the last meal she was known to have eaten before she left home. When she was found, she was only wearing a black dress. Her underwear, shoes and purse were missing and had not been recovered throughout the investigation. A witness would subsequently come forward to say that she believed she had seen the victim after a photograph of Samo was published by the media. Betty Wilson made contact with the police and told them that she had been a passenger in her husband's car as he drove along the roadside near Swimford when she noticed a stationary brown-coloured deregistration Ford Sierra with its lights on. Betty said, There was a girl on the back seat. Her face was black and blue. The driver stared back at me. He had a trilby hat on, which he pulled down trying to hide. The lady was sitting in the middle of the back seat. She didn't move. I thought it was very strange. And she was dead. Betty Wilson had worked in a hospital for years and regularly saw people who had passed away. Other witnesses had also reported sightings of Tracy Turner on the night she died. Tracy was last seen alive walking along a slipway on the M6, where she usually operated and found clients by appearing to hitchhike. At the scene where her body was found, tire marks were discovered that matched with only nine types of vehicles. The murders bore striking similarities, and elements of each case indicated that the same man had been responsible for both. Convicted killers of other sex workers were periodically questioned about the unsolved murders, and as part of the cold case review, the DNA evidence held on file since Tracy Turner's post-mortem in 1994 was compared with samples in the national database. This time there was a match. To a man awaiting trial for a violent sexual assault on a woman months prior. With the suspect safely behind bars in March 1998, the investigators had enough time to look into his past and determine if he was connected to any of the unsolved murders over the past six years. This is the end of episode 43. The second instalment in this two-part case will be available next week.
Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.